What is happening, beautiful people in podcast land? Welcome to another episode of Real Drug Talk. My name is Jack Nagel, and on this show, we talk about all things drugs and alcohol, addiction, and addiction recovery. So today's show was an awesome one. Um, We had our most frequent guest back. Her name is Holly Sinclair. Um, She's a business partner of mine in our connection-based living treatment program that we run. But I wanted to have Holly back because she is a wizard on all things um, biochemistry, uh, how to hack your biochemistry, how to transform it, how to change it so that you can feel happier, live healthier. um, And in the case of this podcast and what we do to help people, how you can start to kind of rewire that those addictive patterns on a biochemical level um and she's an absolute um wealth of knowledge in my life i actually she's just like my health brain um not that i've been super healthy over covid but that's a whole nother story um but yeah she's done magic uh in my life and in my wife's life as well to kind of reset things um again from that biochemical lens um and it's amazing how good it makes you feel and it's something that you know nobody really talks about when it comes to addiction recovery and addiction treatment like i say in the podcast there's like one place um that i know of and they are in melbourne as well that has a naturopath on board and actually kind of looks at that holistic perspective um again shout out to windana but I don't know of too many others, so I would love to hear that. Um, and Holly's really cool because she kind of takes that woo-woo stuff and really like brings in the science um, and you know all the stuff that she knows about that and all the things that she's studied. Um, so in today's show, we talk about yeah the the brain, how it's affected, um, the the microbiome, um, the gut brain axis, um, and a whole bunch of other shit that. I don't know how to talk about um, and that's why we have her on the show. Uh, So um, today's show is brought to you by Connection Based Living that Holly is a part of as well. Um, At Connection Based Living, we help people to transform their lives out of addictive patterns without having to go to rehab. So if that's of interest to you and you're kind of fed up with the traditional way of approaching things or you don't want to be locked away from family and friends for 12, 6, 90 days... um, yeah, give us a call and we'll see if we can help. You know, we'll go through all the usual processes of doing an assessment, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and if we can't help, we'll point you in the right direction. Um, and yeah, you can get access to all the cool stuff that we talk about in this podcast. Um, but also, I'd highly recommend, you know, if you don't want to engage in a whole program or whatever, just like seek Holly out in everything else that she does as well because you can do a lot of this stuff you know, without having to do the full program with us and all that sort of jazz. So um, hope you guys enjoy the show. Hope you guys start thinking about not only addiction and mental health but everything on more of a holistic basis. It kind of really revolutionized my life five years into my recovery actually and changed a lot of stuff for me for the better. Um so hope you enjoy the show guys as always peace see you on the other side all right boom welcome back everybody to another episode of real drug talk now this is our most frequent guest so she's kind of royalty on this podcast we've got holly sinclair again but i promise it's entertaining how you going mate I think this is the third time. Third, third time, time, yeah. Yeah. Third, third time, time out of, I think this is the 76th or 77th episode. So, wow, you've done heaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like we should have done 100 by now, but my inconsistency in mad life got in the way and I had a baby, you know. So, as you do. Um, how you been, mate? What's what's been going on since the last time we spoke, which was like, oh, I don't even know. I think that was at the start of COVID last year. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was because I, I had to record it in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Is that because you were quarantined? Is that right? Was that when Yeah, we I was recording? quarantining. I was coming back from we were the first, we were the first group of people who had to go into 14-day home quarantine because we'd come back from Hawaii. March That's right. 18 or something. March that was the very that was the very start. I remember being on actually. Um, we got off we got off the flight. So basically we're in Hawaii and everyone there, if you've ever been to Hawaii, 
you would understand this, but like everyone there is so rancho relaxo that I was watching all this stuff on my social media from Australia and my family and friends were texting me like, get back now. You're going to be stuck in Hawaii. And I was, <laughs> but then we were walking around Hawaii and everyone's like, aloha. <laughs> you know, just like so chill. But um, anyway, so we got off the flight. I think it was a Jetstar flight. And you know how they've got to take you from one terminal to another on a bus? Yeah, yeah. And I remember we were all that like, packed in like sardines on this bus. And obviously I didn't have any understanding I didn't even have any understanding of what was really going on. Yeah. Um, because Hawaii was so disconnected from it all at that point. But I remember this one guy was just like horrifically coughing. Oh. Next to me. And I just remember <laughs> looking at my husband like, yo, are we going to die? <laughs> oh, good times. And now well, I look back on that and I just think, how stupid was I? That's right. Well, that's the thing. Maybe we won't get into a COVID conversation because you and I will probably get freaking censored off the We'd internet or something. <laughs> um, and that can't happen. We've, we've got to hit the 100 podcast mark. So um, in that time, for, for everyone that doesn't know, Holly is a um, business partner of mine in connection-based living. Um, yeah, because we hold as much weight on the psychological side of things as we do on the biochemical side of things when it comes to addiction and and recovery um Mm. which it shouldn't be but is really unique in the addiction treatment space it's (laughs) Um, so unique it's weird isn't it yeah i mean i'm finishing off uh my second undergraduate degree at the moment i've got three units to go of a psych science degree Mm. and um i constantly get into arguments with lecturers about the fact that yeah, I mean, there is there has been zero psychonutrition modules taught throughout this entire undergraduate degree. How insane is that? Despite the fact that we there's so much science around how food impacts your mood, really. Yeah. Um, and Felicia Jacker, I want to say her last name is, um, is obviously leading the charge here in Australia with that research. But like even at the current level of education for people going through the, um, you know, the, the standard system of becoming a psych, mm. there's zero, Yeah, which is Crazy. wild. Yeah. It is wild. Um, hey, good space for you to step into. Though. Um, well, I actually was looking before at doing my master's in psychonutrition, but you can't even, that just doesn't, doesn't exist. Wow. Yeah. So I would basically have to fund myself to do a PhD in psychonutrition. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, and even beyond nutrition, and I'm sure we're going to get into this today, but there's no level of education in um, the, at least the undergraduate degrees of psychology about the brain to gut axis and how your microbiome influences what's going on in your brain. And also, mm-hmm. you know, I actually had a very lengthy conversation with a lecturer last week about quantum fields. And yep. like people like Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden and, you know, Bruce Lipton and how your thoughts really impact your, you on a cellular level. Mm. Um, and while she said, yes, that that's fascinating information. And I, I'm definitely on board with it. She then finished it by saying, but there's not enough research. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there's so much research now, mm. um, especially out of Australia. And I think it's, um, I forget the university, uh, John Cook, James Cook, (laughs) James Cook University in Queensland, but that's where Joe Dispenza is doing a lot of his clinical research. So, Mm. you know, I guess like the, the approach to mental health and addiction treatment, as you and I talk about so often is so like linear um, and it's just talkative therapy, which Mm. has its place or, or, psycho drugs <laughs> you know psychoactive medications and they might have their place but that's a very reductionist way of looking and treating somebody's soul effectively because that's what we're trying to do is and like especially with what you do with our clients you know, deep diving trauma and breaking through belief systems and understanding deep values and 
like a lot of that um, Martini work, like that's so dismissed going through the Western med model. Um, in fact, I would argue that it's suppressed by mm. using long-term, you know, um, psychoactive drugs, yep. especially things like antidepressants and um, like anticonvulsants and all those sorts of things because they effectively numb your brain, yeah. you know. So you just don't ever have the capacity to actually really have that, I call it the rebirth, which is what, which is what you're effectively after mm. when you're seeking out a, a hallucinogenic state. So when you're going through the process of drug addiction or even alcohol addiction, or maybe to some extent food addiction, porn addiction, whatever that pleasure state is, what you're kind of seeking in that really without knowing it is, is that experience of a rebirth. Yeah. But um, if that was just offered to you, in a better setting like we do for clients i think the way that people approach treatment and also even prior to them getting to the point where they needed treatment exactly would be so much different yeah a hundred percent um and like with all of that with what you said it's the thing that makes me laugh is that you know and we'll get into a bit more sort of maybe complex stuff and and pick your brain a little bit around you know the the microbiome and gut brain access and stuff like that but just basic stuff like base very basic level nutrition isn't taught at a lot of places and i think there's only one place that i know of that's a public place actually pretty cool um shout out to windana that mm. has naturopaths on on their staff um, and not that it has to be a naturopath, but just, you know. Just integrating that holistic approach. That's right. That's right. They do a lot of art therapy as well, don't they, Wendana? They do. They do some, they do some different stuff. And, and it's just kind of about like trying to meet the client, I guess, with, with where they're at. Not everyone's going to vibe with art th therapy, but heaps of people will. Not everybody's mm. going to vibe with this, but heaps of people will, you know. Um, but it's, it's funny, just the back, like, just the basics aren't even covered. <laughs> I know. It's wild. I always say to our clients when I'm consulting with them, I, I sort of set the picture of you go to a, a group session, you know, like AA is such the great example or NA, yeah. um, which is great. You're becoming more vulnerable in a group setting and you're being heard and all the rest of it. Yeah. But then you break for morning tea and you get wonder white bread and some sugar and some fucking plastic tea bag and some low fat milk. And then you go back and you're expected that your brain is to work properly. Yeah. Like what? That uh, doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and the, the, there's, a, there's a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychologist, psychiatrist, I think he is. MD. Psychiatrist. Um, is the medication prescriber psychologist? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a psychiatrist because he's an MD, Dr. Armin, who Dr. Daniel Armin, who runs a clinic in the states called the Armin Clinics, um, and he does amazing work. And he he looks at um, he actually looks at the brain through called a spec scan, yeah, um, and he treats people with nutrition and supplementation. But he all his famous saying is that psychiatry slash psychology is the only space of medicine where you don't actually look at the organ that you're treating. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately where I have a really big problem with the way that um, the majority of services function from is that you're not actually, you know, if somebody had a heart issue, you're not just gonna, I mean, it would be good maybe if you spoke to them about heart ache, cause I do think chakras play a role. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't but, believe I got a fucking mosquito attacking me. So sorry if you hear a <laughs> clap, everyone. Um, but if you had a heart problem, you would go and get your heart scanned. Yeah. You know, if you had a gut issue, you'd probably go and get a colonoscopy. If you had a joint pain issue, you would get an x-ray done. Like, but we don't do that with people's brains when it comes to mental health, which is so strange to me, especially because in neuroscience, we understand the role, and maybe we can get into the brain-gut access now, but we understand the role of neuroinflammation and glial priming. Mm. 
And this is this mechanism where glial cells, which are the brain's immune cells, Mm. are 90% of brain cells and neurons are only 10% of brain cells. Right. So there's this mechanism. So first off, we know that the brain is far more dependent on the immune cells, glial cells of the brain than than it is of the neurons of the Mm. brain. Even yeah. though psychiatry takes the neuron approach of treating neurotransmitters yeah. for mental health, but we can get into that. Um, but there's this mechanism, we see it all the time with our clients, you and I, and we've spoken about trying to get some research done on this. When you have any form of neuroinflammation, and that can be from, or let's just use brain inflammation to make it easier, that can be sustained from having a concussion as a kid. It can be sustained from eating food proteins that you shouldn't be eating, like gluten, dairy, um, corn, stuff like that. You can have brain inflammation from chronic stress, sleep Mm. deprivation, um, microbiome disturbances, environmental triggers are a really big one, especially things like mold. Mm. Mold really is bad for brain inflammation and you won't know that you're being exposed to it a lot of the time. Um, And so say that that happens and you have what we call an initial hit to the brain yeah and that causes that brain inflammation that initial hit let's just say it's the concussion as a 10 year old and And just and just quickly um i know people would say oh concussions are common things however it is ironic that um i was looking back on all the people that we've worked with over the last couple of years a hundred percent of people are listed down as having a concussion at some stage in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let's say that's your first hit and that causes a bit of brain inflammation. Now that's not a bad thing. It's always important to know if you have had a concussion, were you unconscious? How long were you unconscious for? Because that tells us a lot about the the gravity of um, how damaging it may have been. But that's your first hit. And that, that might not necessarily do anything that bad to your brain. But then what happens there is you start to prime your glial cells, which means your glial cells or the immune cells of the brain have to come out and they kind of start scavenging for debris of the brain tissue because mm-hmm. there's inflammation that's taken place. But then when you get a secondary hit to the brain, mm. so maybe you eat gluten, and you shouldn't be eating it, or Mm. maybe you have a traumatic experience, right? Um, That secondary hit creates what's known as glial priming. And this is where the immune cells or the glial cells of your brain, they, if you look at them under a microscope, they kind of look like octopuses. So they've got like all these branches on them. And those branches are there because they should be scavenging throughout your brain all day, every day for debris and waste and toxins and stuff. But when they become primed, they lose those branches. And that yeah. means that they can no longer scavenge the brain. So they just end up dormant in whichever lobe has become damaged. Um, a lot of the time in addiction, it's the prefrontal cortex. Mm. So what takes place is those immune cells sit in the prefrontal cortex and they continue to try and do their job of cleaning up debris. But so they start to chew up your neurons and they start to yeah. chew up your brain tissue. And this is where you get, start to get a lot of brain symptoms. And there's, um, there's obviously like degrees of severity from mild to severe sort of brain inflammation right through to glial priming. But um, they're in the middle, in the moderate, um, it's called uh, something sickness behavior. I always forget it. Let's just call it sickness, beha- oh, sick, sickness, syndrome, sickness syndrome behavior is what they <laughs> refer to it in the um, research. But this is kind of where you're in that sort of weird middle ground between you've had some brain inflammation and maybe you've started to experience a bit of glial priming, but Mm. it's not severe enough yet. And these are the people, the symptoms you get, chronic depression. Mm. That's the symptom you get. And these are the people who go, I've tried five meds. Mm. Nothing's worked. I can't get out of bed. I'm so tired. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just malaised all the time. Mm. That's actually a clinical sign of glial priming that has nothing to do with a serotonin deficiency that you need to take a pharmaceutical drug for (laughs) you know but this is really scary because majority of psychs do not understand this concept at all um so yeah 
And and when you say all this, right, because it's funny, uh, I guess I think about it because I used to come from that space. Like I always think of the skeptics, right? Um, and, you know, there'd be people listening that go, oh, yeah, fucking whatever, bullshit. But it's it's funny because it's all really starting to kind of come to the fourth the forefront now particularly you know in all the sport that we watch and stuff like that like i'm a big afl fan and um and particularly like rugby like but they're gonna have real trouble because the concussion is so severe and there's so many people coming out now you know that are like not even sometimes but like 20 years down the track and whatever that are saying i'm seriously fucked up from this um and that's probably on the severe end, but then there's going to be all these people as well that are just, like you said, just kind of somewhere in between that had a couple of concussions doing whatever as they were growing up and they're just like not aware of it, you know? And they're getting this whole, potentially getting this whole course of like inverted commas wrong treatment and diagnosis to the problem, you know? Does that do more well, damage? Well, you, but you, we already see it play out with AFL players. Yeah, that's like, right. How many AFL players do we hear about who finish up their career and end up, you know, with caught with drugs? I mean, look at Ben Cousins. He's just like the greatest example mm. of you sustain head injuries. Guess what? Your brain's not going to work very well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but we just dismiss it and we just like, and, and we place the blame on the person. Yeah. Because we say it's their choice. It's their behavior. But if you're sustaining like traumatic brain injuries, I mean, if you, if you have a concussion, right, even mm. as a child and you go unconscious for three, five, ten minutes, mm. that means that that injury was so bad, it was the best thing for your body to do was to put you into a coma. Like you got to think about it from that perspective. Yeah. You know, so that's how damaging that injury was. Um, and then the issue is as well, when you come out, I mean, I think about my husband, I remember this one time he was playing, he played like semi-pro footy for a long time yeah. um, in the EFL. And he sustained this one head, this one big blow going up for the pack where he completely collapsed on the ground into that real um frankenstein oh it's fucking freaking position where their hands sort of come up and curl he was out for 20 minutes fucking hell and um i mean at the time obviously none of us really understood this was this was a long time ago this is like 10 years ago but um once he came out of it he wanted to get back on and play You know, and then he obviously wasn't allowed to, but then that night he would have had a couple of beers and he would have had some sausage rolls and, you know, so it's like, it's like what you do, the issue is as well with head injuries is what you do immediately after them Mm. dictates how much they impact you long-term and not nobody, I don't expect anybody to know that, but you just think about in that context, it's not just about the head injury. Mm. it's about what was the state of your brain prior to the head injury? What Mm. was the state of your brain after it? What did you put into your body? You know, all of these contributing factors influence how much that either positively or negatively uh, impacts the way that your brain functions as an adult. Yeah. So, um, and the scary thing is like just circling back to those glial cells for a second, once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. You can't... (laughs) You can't regenerate them, you know? So I just think, I always say to my mentees that I work with, like, I just think I've got a pretty decent level of knowledge on me and I feel like Mm. I can pick up information quite well. But I did a lot of recreational drugs Mm. as a teenager and a 20-year-old. And I think, man, imagine if I hadn't have done that. Like how much better my brain function would be. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It is, in, yeah, it is interesting, like just across the board. I think there's so much that could be taken out of it. I think if we just had greater and wider knowledge of this through um, the, the alcohol and drug sector for professionals and, you know, we could filter it down to clients and all that sort of stuff, mm. it would help people on a personal level 
just kind of have a bit more of acceptance about why they're doing what they're doing and kind of take some of that self blame out, you know? Um, because for me, like, and now I, I disagree with it and don't feel that it fits like, you know, that disease of addiction kind of concept, which is probably more of like an emotional thing, which is something different. But that was the thing that that did for me was that it allowed me at the start, it really helped me to kind of go, oh, this is something that's actually happening outside of myself, you know, um, that I'm not in control of. And then I was able to like have some forgiveness for myself, I guess, which was like super important for me just to kind of get on and move forward and, um, you know, do what I needed to do to get myself better rather than just ruminating in the fucking misery and shit. So I think having the understanding of like the, the, the biochemistry and what happens just due to all these like life factors like concussion, diet, all that sort of stuff can help people in the right format to understand that it's not their fault, you know? Um, and also, um, also like, I think it can help on like public health levels as well. Like you just said, you know, instead of scare campaign saying fucking don't do drugs you're gonna like throw chairs through windows and whatever and everyone just goes whatever fuck off you know like yeah we could start like leaning into an actual education based model that just points out some of the the harms and people are way more into wellness and health and fitness and you know and i think that could have a massive impact too so it's it's so interesting and and i'm in a way, I'm really excited that we're kind of on the forefront of it all. Um, and, you know, we're trying to trying to change some of the paradigms around it. So I wanted to ask, because you were saying like, that's kind of a pretty um, dire explanation and you can't repair it, right? <laughs> so how do you fix it? Like, is that where this kind of gut health stuff comes in? Well, there's the concept of neuroplasticity which right. is obviously working on the neurons, not the glial cells. Yep. Um, but you can certainly bolster the strength of your neurons um, mm. by implementing literal exercises. So it's mm. all dependent on what types of symptoms the person's getting. But let's say they were getting symptoms of the prefrontal cortex, which was things like lacking motivation, um, addictions, um, yep lack of emotional regulation, that sort of stuff, then we could do exercises, which I know tap into the usage of the prefrontal cortex. So um, doing mathematics is really good at building neuroplasticity. It's often the things that you don't like to do (laughs) are the things that you should be doing (laughs) to increase the plasticity in the area of the brain that's weakest for you. So in a way, is it kind of like exercise? Like, you know, most people would admit that they hate going and doing a hard workout, but you fucking feel good after and it benefits you, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, like there's lots of, there's lots of things that I get my clients to do, but things like even like learning to juggle, um, playing chess, mm. doing mathematics, excuse me. There's so many cool apps out now. There's one that I use called Impulse where you just get three quizzes each day, like brain training games, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do, yeah, puzzles are really good. Balancing exercises can be really effective. So standing on one leg, tapping opposite hand to foot yep. 10 times and then doing the same on the other side. Um, you know, those are really simple and effective things that can assist with uh, building plasticity, mm-hmm. but that's certainly not going to influence, unfortunately, your glial cells. Right. Um, things to do to help, to help dampen overall inflammation and avoid continuously adding to glial priming would be what we implement with our clients. So. Yeah changing your nutrition, um, adding in some supplementation, assessing what's happening with your microbiome um, and then acting accordingly based off that. Um, And then if you really want to go to that next level, it's like I would really encourage a lot of people to check their environmental scenario. Like Mm -hmm. I um, actually on my podcast, I interviewed a naturopath. um, Her name's Amy Skilton. Amy Mm -hmm. Skilton. Um, And she, long story cut short, she was almost sent into a psychiatric unit because she just, within a six-month period, she's a naturopath, 
within a six month period, just continually deteriorated mentally. Wow. Uh, didn't understand what was going on with her, ended up um, on the Sydney Harbour Bridge on her Vespa, not knowing which direction she was going in, all this crazy stuff. Um, obviously being a naturopath, that would be pretty full on because yeah. you've got so much knowledge. Uh, she was doing all the right things, having brain scans, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, fortunately, the universe stepped in and her carpet got a stain on it. So they came in to renovate the carpet while she was dealing with this severe, what they thought was psychosis. <laughs> and they had black mold oh, all fuck. under their carpet. Wow. Um, and she had a genetic mutation that made her far more susceptible to mold. Wow. So, you know, she wasn't psychotic. <laughs> But you just wonder how many people maybe that's happening to. You don't know. Yeah. Um, so I would really, really encourage people to have their environment checked. Mm. If, especially if after implementing lifestyle changes like diet and supplements mm -hmm. and stuff hasn't really made much of a difference, mm. that's when I'd be very dubious around, okay, well, what are you being exposed to? Um, different people respond differently to chemicals. You know, for me, it doesn't really impact me being in a moldy home or having perfume on. Like it doesn't, mm. I'm not, my chemical tolerance is very good, but for a lot of people, it's not. Yeah. Um, and people have different genetic mutations as well. So mold mm. is a big trigger. Um, if you live near a busy road, that's a big trigger because you're getting all in the car fumes every day through your air. Um, if you wear non-organic products, um, yeah. you know, all of that sort of stuff mm. can really negatively impact how somebody's brain functions, which is crazy, yeah. really. And little story for everyone. It's, it's funny. I almost feel guilty admitting this to Holly because Holly's kind of just like, I just um, delegate my brain out to hers when it comes to my health these days. Um, but so, yeah, we, we've kind of, or I'll just talk about me, but I, I haven't really been eating a lot of gluten at all much for quite a while now. Um, and anyway, and because even when we get pizzas and stuff, like I'll get, um, you know, like a gluten-free base or whatever, right? So anyway, the other day, I just had a day where I just kind of forgot about it and let loose and whatever. Um, and it's funny because like when, well, this is what happens for me anyway, when you don't have gluten, I kind of don't notice the difference. You know, it's not like having a drink of grog or like, you know, smoking some meth where you just like feel a rush and you feel good. Like nothing kind of happens really. Right. You just, I guess overall, you just start to feel a bit more clear, but you probably usually, or I, I just tied it into my overall health. I didn't like attribute it directly to gluten but i noticed that when it went away because i just had a day of gluten i think i ate a pizza and i think we had fish and chips on the same day how disgusting um and <laughs> the next day the next day i was literally like and i didn't think of it straight away but i was literally like a bit like dopey like i just like kind of didn't like i just wasn't thinking clearly i felt like i had some brain fog um, I had reflux that was definitely from the gluten and, and then, yeah. And then I was like, I was in the car and I'm like, why the fuck am I feeling like this? And then I'm like, oh, I ate gluten the other day, you know? Um, and that's, that's kind of how it happened. So it, it's just interesting for me. Cause I've always been previously, I was always a skeptic to this kind of stuff, but yeah, I've just noticed the impacts of, of it in my life so much, um, it's good to have those experiences. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, and the, the gluten thing's interesting. There's um well, there's a lot Keep of talking, I'm just gonna turn the light on. There's a lot of contention around um the gluten side of things, but basically with for a lot of people, they get an immune reaction to gluten for yeah. up to three months. Yeah. So what that means is you can have an exposure to say your pizza. <laughs> and then on a Saturday yeah. and feel fine in, in quotation marks. But then on Wednesday, you might start getting a migraine. Yeah. But that's your, that's your immune cells still reacting to that food protein. Mm. And a lot of people, as you said, it's not instantaneous. Yeah. Um, and 
like my husband and I were talking about this this morning in regards to what's happening globally with COVID, but mm. but in general with health, it's that the the reason people don't want to take that preventative alternative lifestyle is because they don't get that instantaneous oh I stopped gluten and now I'm healed yeah or like oh I switched, to, I switched to organic meat and now I'm healed yeah right but they do get that from a pharmaceutical drug yeah that's right which is this is where it becomes problematic mm. um but if you stay persistent with it and then you reflect back or you have an experience like you did where you have an exposure you're like, whoa, <laughs> okay, I should not have been eating gluten my whole life. That's you know? right. That's right. But it's, it's, it's We're so conditioned lead. to instant gratification that it kind of fucks up a lot of people's process. And it's just not how people think. Yeah, yeah. Especially with the pharmaceutical model. I mean, that has just completely distorted um, our expectations around healing because yeah. it, I literally had a client the other day who only worked with me for five weeks she finished up because and she said in her email oh, when she was finishing up with me she said I just I can't be fucked <laughs> I just I'm just going to take a pill yeah you know and it's like fair enough for having that awareness at least yeah yeah but like that's effectively where we are at as a society mm. um with very little regard as to how that decision making is going to impact us long term and you and i see this all the time with our clients mm. we see i mean how many people are on seroquel crazy how many people are on ssris seroquel not for sorry i'll just have to rant a little bit about this because <laughs> i just i came across it the other day as well again everybody listening i'm not against medication i'm for it just in the right circumstance um but yeah, like the amount of people that get given like 80 milligrams plus of Seracle for sleep, <laughs> which is like a heavily, uh, a, a very heavy antipsychotic medication or like mood stabilizing medication for sleep is fucking insane. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I used to take it coming off meth to like go to sleep because <laughs> it's so powerful. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 wild, you know. And like you said, okay, that might be effective um, for some people. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but it might be effective, right? Yeah. But what is that going to do to your actual brain long term? Yeah. You know, and this is where like polypharmacy becomes. I mean, it's such great money. It's such a great business structure for these yeah. pharmaceutical companies because one pill creates another issue which yeah. you then need another pill for, you know, and you end up in this polypharmacy world where you're on 20 milligrams or, or 25 milligrams of Prozac, but the Prozac's influencing your digestion, very common side effects. So you've got to take a PPI for your digestion, but then the PPI is impacting the way in which your esophagus is functioning. So then you've got to take, it's like, do, do we not see how ridiculous this is? Hello. Um, and then you're on all of these meds, which so many of our clients are on. I mean, the, the, the trifecta is Seroquel, Valium, and an SSRI. Yeah. That's the standard, you know, three that most Staple. people are on. The staples. Yeah. Um, how long have you been on that for? 10 years? 15 <laughs> years? 20 years? So yeah. is, it, is it actually working? Yeah. No. It's not. It might be, you might have this weird psychosomatic response to it where you think I need that mm. in order to X, but ultimately you're not better. Yeah. You're still living in your state of depression or anxiety or sleep disturbances or addiction. Mm. You, but you, we've just been so indoctrinated into thinking that that's still a better option mm. than one, having a decent level of personal responsibility, which I could go into a whole thing about, but I don't want to come across like I'm shaming anyone. But one, having a decent level of personal responsibility and two, being open-minded enough to accept the fact that what you've done up until this moment has not worked. Mm. 
Um, and that's like the common story that we hear all the time, mm. right, from our clients. How many of our clients have been to two, three, four, five rehabs? Guess what? All the, all <laughs> the same. rehab doesn't work. <laughs> all the same one ten times. That one like, always gets what me. What are you yeah. doing? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but yeah, we, we just go on, we go back into this very weird. Mm. I don't know, man. It's 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 very strange. Yeah. Very, very strange. Well, it has to do with, yeah, like as, as we we're talking about before, comfort levels, um, you know, instant gratification, all that sort of stuff plays into it. So I, I want to talk to you about though, um, I want to talk to you about. Uh, this microbiome stuff and microbiome testing and and even inflammation a little bit and how it heals it like so so because it's something that we do in in connection based living what is microbiome testing and why do you do it and what are the benefits of it um well microbiome testing is testing your poo <laughs> <laughs> um it's a very, uh, it's not a, an enjoyable experience to collect the feces and put it into different containers and stuff. Hey, speak for yourself. No, <laughs> um, but that's effectively what it is. And depending on the level of testing that you get, it can give you a really good insight as to what's going on. So I've got construction around me. That's right. um, what's going on within your digestive tract from bacteria to yeast to parasitic infections, um, even things like short chain fatty acids, metabolic markers, um, the consistency, the formation of your stool, whether there's blood in your stool, immune cells in your stool. So it gives us a really good insight or snapshot of that moment in time Mm -hmm. um in regards to your yeah in, in regards to your microbiome in regards to what's going on within your digestive tract and um just circling back to all the information about the brain so much of that is distorted or, or is is a byproduct of a very damaged gut lining because there's a mm. theory in uh, neurology that you you kind of can't have a leaky brain so there's a, there's a concept called blood-brain permeability, right. which causes brain inflammation without also having a leaky gut. Mm -hmm. um, so they kind of go hand in hand. Right. And in order to start to repair the permeable brain or the leaky brain, you must first start with repairing the gut because these, mm -hmm. your brain barrier, lung barrier, gut barrier, they're all immune barriers. And so mm -hmm. when they become damaged and broken, uh, that's when pathogens can get into your bloodstream and cause a lot of havoc, right? right cause right. a lot of inflammation. Um, so that's what we're assessing for. And then depending on what comes out of that, then I will suggest to the person what supplementation to take, what antibacterials or microbials to use, um, what different types of supplementation and so forth based off, yeah, their individual um stool analysis and how long does it take for people to start getting results or feeling feeling the difference well i guess it depends on the severity of what's going on um but i think once you sort of get through you know a 12 week three month structured protocol mm -hmm. you do feel a lot better um, regardless of, you know, whether or not you're somebody that had just maybe want a little bit of candida overgrowth, or maybe you're someone who's got a whole host of different types of infections happening, you are going to feel a lot better after that 12 weeks. Um, mm. And that has to be accompanied by changing your nutrition. Mm. Which is the, the bit that people find the hardest, right? Yeah. Well, it just never ceases to amaze me. Like I, I I'm obviously so deeply ingrained in this world that mm. for me like it's 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 a no-brainer to just cook a piece of meat with some vegetables yeah for a meal but i think i underestimate like how poor people's nutritional literacy is mm. um and so when i we when i send them through our nutrition guidelines which is effectively just a paleo template mm. or real food <laughs> real food <laughs> template um <laughs> they even struggle to grasp that, you know, because, and a lot of people, not necessarily our clientele, but 
the women that I work with in my business, a lot of them will say, yeah, I eat pretty well. Mm. And then you put them on those guidelines like, and they're fuck. like, yeah, <laughs> they're like far out. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I, I think a lot of people probably think they eat quite well, mm-hmm. but really they don't. Mm. Mm. Um, and then there's different degrees to how well you can eat. So you can follow the nutritional guidelines and eat meat and veg four times a day mm. with some, you know, fruit and um, resistant starch and stuff. But then is it organic? Is it biodynamic? Mm. Have you sourced it from local produce or farmers? Mm. Have you sourced it yourself? Like we just went and got a cow on the weekend. We made 80 kilos of mints <laughs> from this like quarter of a cow. Man, it was such a very long and taxing experience. Um, you know, but so there's different, I guess my point is there's different severities to yeah. how deep you can go with eat what eating well means. Yeah. Uh, but first and foremost, if people just if people just ate real food. I think that's the best template to like, put it to people. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you just like nothing packaged, mm. but that is so hard for people. So hard. Yeah. You know, and um, which often means, um, I think it kind of comes down to, and, and without ranting on it, it kind of, that's what I've noticed with myself, right? It comes down to personal responsibility and discipline because, the, the struggles around eating the real food is, is really about convenience for me, you know, and mm. not being organized basically. I was going to say and, lack of preparation. Yeah. Yeah. And not having my shit together mm. so that I have stuff on hand cooked up, ready to go, you know? Um, and, and cause that includes when you start eating real food, it includes not eating from out most of the time as well, because you don't really know where the food is like coming from, you know? Well, you just think like you can eat, I mean, you can eat out, let's say you eat out for breakfast every day and you have eggs with spinach and some bacon and avocado. Now, like on paper, Sounds that's a good. pretty good meal. Yeah. You know, that's really healthy. But when you're eating out, they use so many vegetable oils to cook stuff in. Yeah. Which are so neurotoxic. Yeah. Um, and damaging to the gut lining. Well, they're referred to as PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, if anyone wants to read more about them. But um so even that small, that small thing of, of using a vegetable oil, but if you're doing that every single morning for two years, that's, it's all about the accumulative load, mm. right? Um, so, yeah, I think to your point, it's just about eating real food, cooking it at home, mm. and prepping, mm. not, not being in a scenario where you're caught out. Yeah. Um, that's one thing, like for me, like I am never, ever in a scenario where I'm caught out because mm. i'm like always thinking about the next day like okay what am i going to have for lunch tomorrow i mean usually the easiest thing to do is just cook more at dinner mm. Mm. It's so easy um and then you got it in the fridge so so why does doing this whole gut protocol and you know resetting your bacteria essentially why does that help you kind of in your recovery process from addiction like what's the What's the science behind that or, or what's actually going on that, that helps you to feel better? Uh, well, I guess a lot of it would come down to supporting that gut-to-brain axis. Yeah. But also, like, depending on what types of infections you have. So, for example, if you had a candida overgrowth, mm. which is quite which is common. common, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially in um, alcoholics. Um, so the toxic byproduct of those yeasts mm-hmm. One of the toxic byproducts is called acetaldehyde. Yeah. And alcohol breaks down into acetaldehyde. Right. So it's actually called uh, auto brewery syndrome. Look it up. There's a very famous case about um, a woman got pulled over and did a bretho. She wasn't, she hadn't had anything to drink and she blew over the limit. And she was like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, <laughs> long story cut short, she had auto brewery syndrome, which is where you've got so much candida overgrowth. You're actually breathing out that acetaldehyde. Oh, wow. Um, and that's why people with, uh, you know, like if, when people are drinkers, mm. they've got that sort of smell to them the next day. Yeah. 
like you've had a big night on the piss and it's kind of coming out in your pores yeah well people with candida overgrowth smell like that wow um so and back to my point sorry i go off on tangents um if you have a candida overgrowth and then you've got this increase of acetaldehyde present Mm. that that is then why your body Mm. you're you're not actually choosing to drink alcohol at that point or sugar alcohol or sugar same thing that's your body literally influencing your behavior because that those organisms need their fuel source which is alcohol and sugars Mm. this is why i hate intuitive eating because, okay, if you've got a candida overgrowth, yeah, of course you're going to intuitively want to drink some alcohol and eat some sugar. Yeah. Um, so that's like one example. So if mm. you had candida and we looked to rectify that, then your desire and your cravings, <laughs> love that word, cravings, aka shit biochemistry, um, you'll no longer have that desire for those Food, pro- food substances or alcohol substances, right? Mm. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons why it can benefit um, addicts for sure. Yeah. And, and is it also true? So I love that 100% because I remember, so just quick, sorry, I, I just went in like three different directions in my brain. Did you see that? And I yeah, just said it. like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I remember when, it's funny that you say that because I remember when I went through treatment there was nothing to do with, you know, like the biochemistry. And to be honest, at that time when I was going in and I didn't know anything about like rehab, that's actually what I thought it was going to be about, right? Like I thought it was going to be about, you know, like blood tests and medications and stuff like that, right? Not, Not microbiome testing, but I thought it was going to be like some scientific shit, right? And it was just sitting in group talking about my bitter regrets which is necessary too but um yeah like none of that kind of happens and I think it's so important for people to know that like because it's such a big fear that people have when they're stepping into recovery is like fuck I've just like wanted cocaine or I've just wanted alcohol or whatever my whole life even when I'm sober and I just crave it so like it's going to be so hard and what's the point point? and if you can actually give people that hope that hey if you do this it's going to go a long way to rewiring your biochemistry which is actually going to decrease your cravings and desire that's massive for people yeah for you know? sure yeah for sure the, the most difficult aspect of all of it though is when when somebody has a brain issue which i would put addiction and mental health under um it's very hard for them to implement change. Yeah. Because their because their brain is unhealthy. Mm. But in order to get their brain healthy, they've got to implement these changes. Mm. But implementing change is hard because their brain's unhealthy. Yeah. You see what I mean? Like so 100%. That's ultimately where the biggest struggle comes in. And mm. that's where what the current services say i agree with that's where having a strong support network is so so important or to have somebody keeping you accountable um whether it be you know like a like a practitioner like yourself or whatever to make sure that you are following the nutrition guidelines to make sure you're implementing the supplementation or whatever because Mm. if you don't actually do that for the the window where it's challenging let's say it's like four to eight weeks mm. and you're never actually going to reap the rewards of it that's right that's um, right so i'd say that's that if anything is probably the biggest challenge mm. um because yeah the brains the brains a funny thing like you know when i i work with a lot of clients that have add mm-hmm. that's tough yeah because their 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 brain i mean add i, I can go off a tangent on that but ultimately it's an issue with the prefrontal cortex again brain inflammation glial priming all the rest of it but they're so they have such an inability to stick to things Mm. but if they just if they just stuck to what i was asking them to their add would get better that's right yeah it's so challenging yeah you know um but but having that accountability there consistently is what helps the most Mm. and this is where you know all the other stuff that we started off by talking about is so important that gets dismissed as well is 
helping people to kind of zoom out on their life, tap into their like wider values and find something deeper with them within themselves that actually overrides that, you know, in the moment cuckoo brain function, you know, and keeps them tapped in emotionally to I'm doing this because, you know, I want to be a better mom or whatever. And helping people to understand that is what actually gets them over the line. And that's why it frustrates me, you know, that, yeah, people don't help help people to really kind of dig deep and explore some of that stuff. But also we shame people for personal development. Yeah, that's right. So you, you, you develop yourself as a person or you, you grow and instantly you will be called out for, you know, going against what you once believed or. Yeah. Or being a happy clapper or. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever, whatever. Um, so you kind of stay stuck in this shame cycle unless you're really willing to just say, go fuck yourselves. I'm continuing on my growth trajectory. Enjoy peasant land down there in <laughs> bloody rehab number 10. Um, you know what I mean? But that takes a courageous soul and a brave soul, which a lot of us, a lot of people don't have that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's very interesting. And like, I know I've been talking a lot about biochemistry today. And while I do really believe that, that holds a lot of weight to the healing of people. Mm. I also believe that having that desire to personally develop and personally grow holds equal the amount of weight. Yeah. Um, and you see this, like, you know, I was having a discussion with my brother yesterday about a, a friend of his who has this very toxic relationship with his partner. Um, and he was sort of, my brother was saying they should go to couples counseling. I said, no. No, the issue is when you're in any form of toxic relationship, whether it be with yourself through, a, through substance abuse or with a partner or with a family member or whatever, or yeah. with a work colleague, um, you're in that scenario and that scenario is happening because you have not bothered to have, have an introspective approach within yourself 100%. and develop yourself personally. Um, and that's ultimately where so many so many things just you just keep in this sort of like trauma cycle Mm. right um and we see it with our clients as well so i I do think people need to take responsibility for the fact that what's happened to them while they while they may have had traumatic experiences that were beyond their control especially in regards to things like sexual assault and Mm. you know um, especially as a child if stuff happened Mm. but ultimately everything that you're now experiencing as a byproduct of that is, is up to you. That's right. Exactly. Um, And you have to be willing to recognize that, have awareness around it and then put in practices and boundaries that allow you to, to not become triggered or not become Mm. reactive or not reach out for the alcohol or whatever uh, which is what you do so well. Jack does so well with our clients is helping them sort of shift that internal dialogue. Um, but even that, like, and then you could, you could go into quantum quantum psych as well, which is what Joe Dispenza does. Anyone who doesn't know him, I highly recommend at least starting his meditation practices, um, but looking into his work. But um, like even that stuff is not really taken into consideration in the current services offered. Yeah, yeah, that's really, right. Is it? <laughs> Not, not at it, all. It's, it's more about a bit of blame. <laughs> like, oh, you fucked up. Yeah. You, you as the ice addict threw the chair through someone's window. Mm. So you need to go and apologise and you need to just stop taking ice. Mm. It's like. <laughs> and that's right. Like, that's the thing. There, there's different levels to, to all of it. Interestingly enough, though, I think some of that stuff is starting to starting to change. Starting to change because I, I um, you know, sometimes I see the psychologist here and there, and and I did a thing with her actually. She, she's like a traditional psychologist, right? And then we just did this trauma. I just did this trauma therapy stuff with her. That yeah, is that kind of um, more in that realm of like Joe Dispenza and understanding the unconscious mind, and you know, understanding that it that 
the language of the unconscious mind is, you know, in imagination and dreams and, you know, stuff like that. We did this whole thing and like the, the therapy was this like imaginative, emotional meditation process, you know, um, mm. which is highly different. And I just, which was cool. I'm into all that stuff. I just thought it was interesting that it had kind of crossed that barrier with the traditional psychologists and they were like, hey, you know. Well, when you, when you experience something, how can you deny it? That's right. You know, that's right. But I mean, I think, yeah, I think to your point around subconscious stuff, like personally, I really do think victim consciousness is the greatest like human pathology. It's the only human pathology out there, victim yeah. consciousness. Yeah. Um, and that's been perpetuated by the pharmaceutical industry and the Western med industry because, you know, you, you walking into that arena, whether it be a rehab or a psych ward or, you know, whatever, even if it's for a fucking, I don't know, headache, I don't know, mm. you're instantly the victim. Yeah. You're going in to get fixed by an expert. Mm. Um, that's, it's not a good place for us to be. Like mm. it's, it just, it just keeps us in this perpetual, yeah, trauma cycle where something's wrong with us, we need help and we can't fix ourselves. Well, it's, it's one of the hardest bits of work that we do with anyone in the program. Like you said, particularly if there's like massive issues that have happened around trauma where, where they are genuinely or they have been genuinely been a victim, right? Mm. But like you said, like, you know, all healing starts with taking responsibility and realizing that you have control over your like attitudes thoughts and emotional processes and and you can choose what happens next you know that's sure. the heart that's the hardest part of the whole thing because yeah like you said as a society we get kind of conditioned into it but when you make the shift and i you know admittedly i, I fall back into it sometimes you know it's not it's part it's almost part of the human condition or the cultural conditioning at the moment um but when you do that that's when the healing really really starts um mm. And it's a really cool process when it happens because all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you're not powerless. You come into your power. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, I fucking, I got this. I, I got it. I can Definitely. control my destiny. Definitely. And the, for me personally, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> the biggest, like the biggest influence in regards to that stuff has been my meditation practices. Like hundred <clears throat> percent. And I even re like recently going through, um, I won't say it here, but Jack knows having like a, a process of going through like a transition, yep. um, not, not to the, the actual transition, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a health transition that's taking place in my life or a woman transition. Um, but riding that roller coaster of anxiety that takes place, you know, when, when any changes are happening, you're starting a new job or, um, you know, you're becoming a mother or, or whatever might be going on in your life. But for me, I literally would have an anxious thought, but because I've done so much development on myself through meditation and journaling, I have that awareness now to actually stop those thoughts. Mm. And I think that's pretty fucking amazing. It's cool. You know, like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but like, yeah, just to even have the ability to go stop, yeah. How do you know that what you're thinking is true? Yeah. Prove to me that it's true. You know, and and that it completely just snaps you out of that roller coaster of spiraling thoughts. Yeah. And the spiraling thoughts are what lead to the reactivity, they lead to the substance abuse, they lead to That's you know, right. all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, so cultivating that mindfulness is such a big part of it. But again, it comes down to practice and implementation. Hundred percent, and and for anyone that like the best recommendation that I can give is is and it's a pretty famous one, but I just think it puts it into perspective really well because there's probably almost nothing that you could say is worse and that you could be a bigger victim of um, is the book Man's Search for Meaning. That that's pretty oh, much it's an amazing book. That's pretty much what the book is about: is how yeah. despite being um, tortured and being completely wrongly you know, victimized and, and having things done to you that no matter what you can still choose to kind of have 
your the attitude that you want to have you know That's within right. yourself um so yeah I, i'd highly recommend that people read that so just quickly before i let you go um uh can is it true or false that doing the gut protocol like improves those like positive chemicals in your system you know like the serotonin yeah. uptake yeah well so many so much of your so many of your neurotransmitters are actually made in your gut right um you know, especially like serotonin, it's like 90% of your serotonin yeah. is formed yeah. in your gut. So that's why when you're on an SSRI, you get gut symptoms. <laughs> that's why, because they right. are, you know, serotonin influences something called peristalsis in the gut, which is the process of moving yeah. food. So yeah, for sure. Like your, and I know dopamine's influenced by your gut microbiome, GABA's influenced by your gut microbiome. So <clears throat> having a, a more diverse but healthier gut microbiome will definitely impact those mood chemicals. Mm, mm. Amazing, mate. Where can um, people find you? You've got a decent um, Instagram following, particularly for the for the females listening to this. Holly's yeah. main core kind of business that she does is is around fertility and, and women's health. Yeah, so you can find me at the Women's Series. Um, or the women's series.com um, yeah come on over check it out I mostly focus in on fertility sex ed and feminism they're sort mm -hmm. of my three brand pillars um, <clears throat> sometimes I go a bit rogue if I'm getting really pissed off and <laughs> often I, no joking, joking. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to have a rant um, <laughs> but yeah that's where most of our stuff is and then obviously if you work with us through CBL or communicate community Connection-based living. Yeah. Set a brain part. Um, you can, you'll work with me through that awesome. program as well. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Stepping in when we had a cancellation, you're a superstar. <laughs> um, but again, highly interesting guys. And I've, I've got to say, like, obviously I never did this process when I was kind of at the very start of my recovery and I wish I did, but in the years gone by when I've done gut protocols with Holly, um, fuck. Yeah, after helped us get pregnant. Um, that's a whole nother story, but yeah, truly like can attribute that to us conceiving when we were struggling to before that. Um, uh, helped me, like I really noticed last time when I did it, um, the freaking mental clarity and the mood. It, mm. You're right, it did take about four months, I think, mm. but I was like, it was like I got up one day and I was like, whoa, <laughs> feel good. <laughs> so this is what life's meant to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to do that, you don't have to just like come through our program and do it. There's other places where you can find out how to do it. But just yeah. if you are going through addiction and mental health issues, like just kind of expand your scope a little bit. I couldn't encourage people more to just think about like your biochemistry and there is new and emerging uh, things coming out around that that can really help. So um, hope the chat was beneficial and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks,